This is the Huddle Up Podcast with J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, and John Osher. Welcome to the new era. The Huddle Up Podcast starts right now. Welcome into the Huddle Up Podcast. Today is Wednesday, May 19th. J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, NFL media analyst and senior writer for Jaguars.com, John Osher. We'll get to the overblown reaction to Travis Etienne lining up at wide receiver. We'll continue that conversation. Urban Meyer dealing with criticism. It comes with the smallest things, it feels like, these days. We'll get to um, maybe his mindset on that. And rookie camp takeaways after... This past weekend, we've got a lot to get to today. Bucky, what's up, man? How we doing? And I know you uh, you probably watched from afar some of the mini camp coverage on Jaguars.com. Yeah, I was really excited. It was great to get to reports. I got I got you tweeting out everything, keeping me up to date while I'm watching baseball or whatever. And then I got John's reports coming back after each day with his takeaways. I liked it. Um, I liked the conversation. I liked the all eyes on the Jaguars. It's funny though how people take little snippets and nuggets from press conferences and they make things maybe more than what they really should make. Oh, them. maybe, maybe, John, <laughs> maybe, I mean, maybe. maybe, well, they don't. <laughs> oh, here's the thing, Bucky. I'm a media guy. I mean, I, I've been in this business that uh, so I was 21 or 22. What was annoying about this one to me is urban never said he was moving ETN to wide receiver. <laughs> He's working him at wide receiver during a three-day rookie minicamp when the quarterback can't hand off. There's no, it, there's no way for him to take handoffs from had he worked at running back. Plus, Bucky, you played the game. How hard is it to learn running back? Go stand <laughs> over there, and I'll pitch you the ball. And I'm exaggerating that, but it's the easiest position to learn. It's yeah, still, yes. as, as Fred Taylor said a couple of days ago, it's still 90% instinct. That position, you got to learn plays. I get that. You got to learn blitz pickup. But when it comes to running the ball, he wasn't going to learn blitz pickup at the rookie minicamp. He wasn't going to learn how to run and how to hit the holes. You knew he was going to be a hybrid. You knew he was going to work on routes. And I've said this a million times this week. When did you want him to start running the routes, Bucky? Labor Day? <laughs> Veterans Day? Now's the time to start doing that. It made perfect sense to work in there. I don't know where else we... I don't know where else he would have worked him. How are you? How is he going to work at running back? I don't. There were I don't no know. handoffs. Like, like, like it's funny, right? So, um, my initial reaction when I saw it hit Twitter, uh, then I followed up and saw it on JP timeline. I was like, oh, okay, he's getting some work at wide receiver. He's doing this or whatever. But then I had a memory, and I think I told you guys this the first time that I was scouting. It might have been my first year scouting. Uh, I go to Utah. Urban is there, and at the time, man, they're flipping the ball and. Uh, they got a, a wing back, a, a guy named Paris Warren, who ended up going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Paris Warren is coming in fly motion, things that we see all the time now. But I'm like, what in the world <laughs> is this? Like, they're, they're coming, he's coming in motion, they're handing it to him, he's going behind them, they're flipping and running options, they're starting one way and running shovel passes. And that was, that was radical back then, too. Now, that wasn't crazy. an everyday occurrence. It changed college no, it's football. Crazy. Yeah. It changed college football. And so Alex Smith is the quarterback then, and I'm like, whoa, like this is, this is pretty cool. Like this is creative. And since, then he goes to Florida, and Percy Harvin is put in that spot. He goes to Ohio State. He had Braxton Miller and Curtis Samuel and Paris Campbell. The H-back position in his offense is the position for the most explosive, most dynamic playmaker. And 
when he's had his way where he's been able to use multiple guys, he'll put multiple guys in that spot. And so when he had Jalen Marshall, who was a quarterback turned wide receiver at Ohio State, he would be in the backfield with some other guys and any of those guys could take the direct snap and do some funny things. And so when I think about Etienne, I was like, well, this is just the first domino to drop because when he gets his hands on LaVisca Chenault, I guarantee that he's going to have some opportunities to touch the ball and do that. And it's all part of a plan that we've heard him talk about. We need big plays, explosive plays. The only way that you really score points in this league is you got to be to generate explosive plays. And so Travis Etienne's experiment or experience at wide receiver is all part of a, 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 a mission to put the best playmakers on the field at the same time to increase the ante when it comes to, hey, how can we get these explosive plays that we need to score? Hey, JP, this will segue up a little bit into the second thing of Urban always being criticized. Yes. So I kind of took your job away from you. I apologize. You're much better segue than I am. Don't worry about it. You're fine. Um, a couple of years ago, when the 49ers were hot, Shanahan gets all kinds of credit for being creative with Debo Samuel, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he was a genius. Hey, hey, look at how creative he's being. Well, that's all this is in reverse. If this was Debo Samuel getting some reps at running back, oh, look at Shanny. He, he's the guy. He's creative. Well, they're just doing this in reverse. And if, if anything, they got the ideas from Meyer from way back when. So he's being criticized for doing something people have stolen from him and getting credit for. <laughs> he invented it. <laughs> And he's getting criticized so, for it. it hey, Thomas Edison, this, this light bulb is too bright. We can't use this I, anymore. So yeah. it, it's uh, it, here's the thing. If they had drafted Chenault this year, they'd be doing the same thing in reverse. And everybody would be saying, well, I mean, last year when the Jaguars did this with Chenault, everybody said how creative it was. Hey, you're putting a wide receiver, using him in different spots. Well, at some point, they worked him at different positions in practice. Mm-hmm. I guess Urban was just silly enough to be upfront about. It. Yeah, and Maybe I think he shouldn't this is... say anything. <laughs> I mean, I I'm know. angry. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm angry. I know. John's upset. I, I can tell. I can tell. But here's what I would say with Travis Etienne, and he talked about him being a space player or a matchup player. When we think about two of the top running backs in football, we think about Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is in two clubs that are really hard to get into. 100, 1,000, 100 receptions, 1,000 yards. He did that three years ago. Then two years ago, he was in 1,000, 1,000, 1,000 rushing yards, 1,000 receiving yards. When you think about Travis Etienne and physically how he's built, man, as much as I love him as a runner, if you can give him six to eight catches in space where it's one-on-one, one-on-two, a two-on-two game with him and a blocker and two defenders as opposed to having to deal with 11-on-11, the odds of him breaking out on an explosive play increase when you have fewer defenders. This could be a move designed to not only take advantage of his receiving skills, but to preserve him from the pounding that most running backs take. We should think about when we get into the regular season, let's tally up his total touches and his total yards from scrimmage. And if he's over 100 scrimmage yards, that's a really good day, whatever the combination of runs and catches are. Can he be McCaffrey, Buck? I would say he's not the route runner that Christian McCaffrey was coming out of Stanford. But that said, he does catch the ball. And if you force feed him the ball where you throw it to him, he certainly can make it happen. I just want you to think about this. Leonard Fournette, I want to say, caught 78 or 79 balls 
his last full season with the Jags, and he was more of a checkdown option. Yes. If you put the ball in Travis Etienne's hands 70-plus times in the passing game, he is going to have more explosive plays than Fournette had. And so we have to think about it in those terms. Because he can make guys miss. Leonard was not the really the type to make guys miss when he was out in space. Yes. He would try to run over guys. This is the Huddle Up podcast, J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, and John Osier. And, John, you teased it. Let's discuss this a little bit more. The criticism that Urban Meyer takes. Now, let's real talk. This kind of goes back to the old college days with him, Florida and Ohio State. There were some off-the-field things that were fair criticisms at both of those stops. He also won a lot of football games at both of those stops, too. Um, but here so far, you know, the Chris Doyle thing is the first thing. Now everybody has a Tim Tebow opinion all of a sudden, and now it's the ETN at wide receiver thing. There was on ESPN on Monday on the Get Up program in the morning and even a little later on NFL Live later in the day, they used those three things together on a graphic in order to say how things are going in Jacksonville. They have nothing to do with each other. I think it goes back to that the college stuff with Urban, and it's the, the new shiny thing to discuss, and it will get a reaction because Urban's name gets a reaction one way or another, and you throw the Tim Tebow thing in there on top of it. I think all of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is just not even close to accurate, and it's not really fair, but I think Urban, in his younger days, John, uh, would probably take it a little harsher I'm going to guess since he's a little older and wiser now and has been through some stuff that he's probably not as uh, reactive to it, uh, though you don't want anybody really uh, hammering you this early before yeah. they even take a snap. I'm curious how he uh, how he takes that type of criticism when it's really just unfair. You know, JP, like you, I'm not going to pretend to know Urban well enough to know how he's going to take things internally. And I didn't cover him in Florida uh, but, but people I know covered him in Florida and they said, look, he really didn't get caught up a lot in what people said or what people wrote about. Him. I just don't think he considers it, it. And this is my interpretation of him just from being around him and talking to people about him. He's laser focused on what's important. And to him, what's important is, you know, he's talked about it, sports performance, getting this program right, building a culture, developing relationships with players, getting the offense, getting the defense getting the roster good enough to go win. You know what I haven't mentioned in that list, JP? What What's people that? are saying. You know, <laughs> a lot of coaches say, well, I don't read that. I don't listen to sports talk. I don't, I don't know what you guys are saying about them. Most coaches who say that are, are disingenuous about it. Mm -hmm. I kind of get the idea that Urban really doesn't care that much. You know, and, and I guess why should he? He, he's, he went like 99 I – mean, he went 999 and one in college. Right. He won up team national right. championships. He has a right to be confident in what he's doing. I don't think he's bothered by it, but I do think you're exactly right. The criticism and all this stuff, the common sports fan, the common football fan is sort of pre-programmed to criticize Urban Meyer. He doesn't smile a whole lot. He wins too much. In college, he was sort of the coach that was easy to dislike, sort of like Saban. When you win that much, it's easy to dislike you because you're the villain. You're beating everybody's team. So I think people are predisposed to not liking Urban very much. And, uh, you know, 
I guess as a Jaguars podcast, I would say to Jaguars fans, who cares? He's your guy. I just don't think he cares that much. And I don't think the criticism matters that much, but I do think that's where it stems from, Bucky. Oh, it absolutely stems from that. For the casuals, uh, as they're called, <laughs> they, they look, Urban Meyer irks them because he is a guy that comes from the college game and was the ultimate winner. He won at every place. And not only did they win, they won big. And they won in impressive fashion. And so when you see a guy who Urban being Urban is an ultimate confident guy who talks about with these catchphrases and the ultimate competitor and plus two and A to B, four to six, all those things that have been central parts of his program, people are like, why, 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 why? Like Charlie Brown's teacher, right? And so they get tired of it. <laughs> and so they want to see him. They want to see him fail. And they want to be able to say, like, see, he couldn't make it. Uh, Nick Saban couldn't make it and those things. And so it becomes that. The Chris Doyle thing, look, gave those fans an opportunity or those who want to see him fail an opportunity to kind of talk about, hey, this is the big boys league. Now, you can't do what you did in college. You can't do that. The Tim Tebow thing is really, look, putting two polarizing forces together when you have Tim Tebow and all the stuff that comes along with him, with Urban Meyer being who he is. All of that kind of it comes together because I thought there was another story that was overblown based on what it really is no or doubt. what it could be no if doubt. he signs, you know. And so it's one of those things. But what I will say, Jaguars fans and everybody else, is for so long the Jaguars have always been like the underdog. There hasn't been a lot of winning over the last decade. And so it's natural to take that, take on that mantra, A, with the underdog, with the little engine that could and all that. Urban doesn't see himself like that. And the Jaguars aren't going to see themselves like that. So we all have to kind of flip from being like the little feel good story to kind of being the villain. And so I'm okay with that because even though we're till is the primary, like I don't mind wearing all black and being the bad guy. I'm okay with it. <laughs> hey JP, you know what? I kind of fit into that as a college, as a casual <laughs> yes, college do. football fan, sure. I mean, as a casual college football fan, you know me, we talk football. I follow I follow college football enough to know I wish there was more defense. And I kind of like watching it to figure out the players who are coming into the league. I'm not an avid college football fan, but, but, but I'll be honest, for 10 years, I sort of rooted against Ohio State because I wasn't a big urban mind. You know, as a casual yeah. fan, I looked at this guy and said, he's he's Darth Vader. He, and I didn't like or dislike her, but I'm not saying that. But it's easy to root against him. And I kind of rooted against Ohio State because I don't want to see Urban, urban Meyer win enough win another national championship. I don't want to see Saban win another one. I root against Bama, JP, even though I like you sometimes. But it's uh, (laughs) – here's the thing, though. Here's what's important in all this. As you get to know Urban Meyer a little bit and and as you get to watch him up close, you realize why he's been good at places. You realize why he wins. There's an incredible conviction and a confidence in knowing what's right. He doesn't really care. If he thinks it's right, He's not going to sway based on public opinion. I don't think Saban is either. I I don't think most great coaches do. I certainly like him more and respect him more from seeing him how he operates. And it's not just because the same guy signs our checks. I have have a real respect for how he goes about it. I like guys in those positions who don't listen to noise. And I don't think he listens to noise. And I think that's a good thing. It's unwavering. 
uh, Bucky, because and and for guys like that, for Saban at Alabama and for Urban uh, at Ohio State and now here in Jacksonville, those kind of guys that have done it, that have a track record of building like that, you have to give them full autonomy, keys to the castle to be able mm-hmm. to make sure that their processes are working well. I mean, that's, that's the way this thing is start. It's the culture, it's the process, it's everything, whatever term you want to use for it. That's the only way these guys can really put together their programs. Yeah, it is the only way they can put together their program. And that's why it's so important for those guys that are making the move from college to the pros, that they're given the opportunity to build their pro teams like they were able to build their college powerhouses. And so for Urban Meyer to have complete autonomy, to have complete control over the football operations, it had to be like that so he could fully put in his plan. And we can say a lot, like the one thing that I know about Coach Meyer is we have seen him put in this plan at multiple places and it's worked. So why wouldn't it work now? From Bowling Green to Utah to Florida to Ohio State, he has won, he's won quickly. And so the expectation is that the Jaguars are going to win. And so my expectation is you're going to see him walk through full of confidence, full of swagger, full of all of that stuff. Because also remember this, it's not only um, the media and all of us on the outside looking at Coach Meyer in terms of how he carries himself, his players who have not experienced a lot of winning are also looking at that. And so how he carries himself will give them a blueprint for how they're supposed to carry themselves. And I think he always knows that he is on and he is being looked at. And that's why I don't think he really bristles at all of that other stuff, because he wants to show the same focus that he's demanding from his players. This is the Huddle Up podcast. J.P. Shadrick, John Osier, Bucky Brooks, glad you're along with us. And thanks for the subscription to the official Jaguars podcast network on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us that five-star treatment as always and a comment or two or three. We appreciate that. And single-game tickets for the 2021 preseason and regular season are on sale now. Visit jaguars.com or call 904-633-2000. There's a team of representatives ready to help you get back in the bank in 2021. Speaking of the uh, single game tickets, Bucky, the schedule, of course, came out last week. We haven't talked to you, um, I think, since then. So what's your favorite game, stretch of games, moment uh, in the initial look at the Jaguars schedule? Well, my favorite games are early in the preseason to see what it looks like, uh, the beginning stages, because what I'm fascinated and curious to see is how does it start for Coach Meyer and how does it end, meaning how quickly can he adapt to thinking about the game from a collegiate standpoint to an NFL standpoint? And really it will come down to those division games, right? Like how, how much can we close the gap on our division rivals? So the Colts and the Titans, because ultimately we go to the playoffs, the quickest way is to win the division. And so what does it look like when we play those division games? So I'm really curious to see what it looks like down the stretch after Trevor Lawrence settles in and we play down the end and see just what it looks like. Can we be competitive enough to maybe push for a 500 record or better? What does this team look like as he adjusts and acclimates to the pro game? We heard some things. This is unrelated to the Jaguars, but Teddy Bridgewater talked about the Carolina Panthers practice schedule and how they were going. And I think the thing that stood out to me is they just didn't pay enough attention to situations. And the college game, is not as much situational football as the pro game. Because 
most games in the NFL are decided by eight points or fewer. The college game isn't like that. And with fewer total plays in the game, every play has more importance and every situation increases in terms of the, number, the amount of pressure. Can Coach Meyer understand that and can he get better at that part of it as his rookie season as a head coach? Well, Bucky, you said how does it start and how does it end? I'll tell you how it ends. It ends in the damn Super Bowl. Is how it ends. <laughs> so, tw- I mean, 20 and 0 let's that, over here. Whoa. Let's get that serious. Right now. <laughs> it's, uh, I, uh, to your point about the situations, I'm going to guess that that has been a huge conversation over the years between Urban and Belichick. You know, and uh, they're close. Mm, uh, yeah. You know, my guess is because Belichick's so good at that. And I'm, I'm sort of freewheeling a little bit there. I don't, I mm-hmm. know nothing about their relationship, but. My guess is if you ask Belichick what the most important thing they do, it's probably situational. They're so good at that. Uh, they've won Super Bowls based on that yes, when they, they may have. not have had the better team yep. uh, because they're so good at it. My guess is as much as Urban learned from talking to people over the years how to prepare for this job, I would be surprised if the emphasis on situations wasn't at the top of his list of the things that as you said, maybe not quite as important in college, but paramount in the NFL. I've got to think that was the first thing Belichick told him and has told him over the over and over the years, if he's being honest. Now, maybe Bill kept that. From <laughs> same, same conference. Because, you know, <laughs> you know, same conference. Maybe he didn't want him to know. Bill's crafty <laughs> like that. But you know, that's definitely a, a huge point that he'll need to adjust to. But I, I'm thinking that'll be a big part of it. Yeah, no, it's funny to say that, John. Like, in listening – uh, to old Urban Meyer interviews, he talks about those things. And he talks about like what everyone, if you want to be a great situational football team, the first thing you have to do is you got to master the part of not beating yourself. And not beating yourself consists of eliminating the pre-snap penalties, like really limiting the turnovers, the, the big plays that you allow in terms of don't let the ball fly over your head, win the turnover battle, those things. And so, he certainly has preached that. He's talked about that at the collegiate level. Now is taking what you talk about and making sure throughout the practice week and in games that you implement it and you're able to play situational football. The one thing that might help him more than some other collegiate coaches that have made the jump, Urban Meyer was in charge of the special teams at every spot that he was. Like as the head coach, he coached the special teams. And anyone will tell you that special teams coaches have to be on it when it comes to situations because they manage the game from afar. They're the bridge between offense and defense and those things. And so if he takes that same approach where not that he's necessarily running the special teams, but that same mindset where it's always about managing the game and controlling the game, he'll be fine when it comes to the situations after he plays a handful of games in the regular season and also in the preseason. This is the Huddle Up Podcast, J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, John Ozier. Glad you've joined us today. The Daily's Place schedule continues to grow as things open back up. AEW Dynamite, May 28th. May 30th is AEW's Double or Nothing pay-per-view. Then the Tedeschi Trucks Fireside Live, two nights with pieces of the Tedeschi Trucks Band, Friday, June 11th and June 12th. And a couple shows recently announced. 311 is coming Wednesday, September 22nd. That's a flashback to... The late 1990s and Alice Cooper with Ace Freely Saturday, October 9th. John Ozer will be at that one. Tickets at dailiesplace.com. Welcome to my nightmare, John. School <laughs> out for summer. Da-da, da-da. 
my good friend from college, Steve Sitaris, was the most mammoth Alice Cooper fan. I, I never really got it until later in life, but uh, I I like the idea of Alice Cooper. I like that there's an Alice Cooper in the world because yep. he yeah. he changed a lot of things, and he's got to be pushing what mid seventies now. It got to be right. Ace Freely was the lead guitarist he's in no Kiss, of course. 18. By the way. No, 18 times about five. But yeah. Bucky has no idea what we're talking about right now. No idea what Al Cooper is. I can just tell you that I've heard the names, but if you press me on a song, I would have to call a lifeline if this was uh, one of those trivia shows. I would, I would need a, a lifeline and some help. But I've heard the name. And I'm sure if I hear the song, I'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, I've heard one or two of their songs. Well, if we get you in town Saturday, October 9th, we will go to the show at Daly's Place, and we will introduce you to Alice Cooper. Yes. Oh, wow. It's funny about Alice wow. Cooper. Alice Cooper, I suppose they've I mean, not binge-watching documentaries lately. He supposedly is, is a terrific guy. Couldn't be more down-to-earth sports fan. So, great golfer, too. Uh, yeah, a great golfer. And uh, I think I got sober playing golf, you know, is a story with him. So I'd love to meet Alice Cooper. I don't, you know, he's uh maybe I will. Maybe he feels the same way about me, JP. Maybe he's sitting there going, boy, boy, no, I can't wait to meet. I can't wait to meet John Ozier. Maybe he, he's one of the ghost emailers on your Ozo. Sure. You never know. Uh, the Q and a stuff, uh, maybe we'll have him on the pod. You know, maybe we'll just have him on this Why not? The concert and Bucky will get introduced. Um, let's, let's get some takeaways from rookie mini camp. I know Bucky, as we said earlier, you're watching from afar um trevor's a real deal even with one arm right now mm-hmm. it just looks a little different with him and there's a presence about him yes it was a slower rookie mini camp but there's a reason he is who he is they were limiting him no snaps from center no handoffs as we've of course noted a pitch count for him but they're more concerned about that other stuff instead of the throwing arm that's fine it says everything you want in the press conference too that's all those boxes are checked Urban Meyer raved about Walker Little, John, 6'7", 320, 20% body fat. And you could tell he's got a presence about himself, too. Let's see him, though, against veterans and in pads. But so far, John Urban loves him. Yeah, I didn't, to be honest, see that much from anybody else. In a, we were out there 55 minutes. Uh, Cisco wasn't out there. Tefele wasn't out there. Uh, Jordan Smith, I don't know how much you're going to see from a pass rusher in this situation. But – I was glad somebody asked Urban about Walker Little. I was going to because he's the most intriguing guy in the draft class to me outside Trevor Lawrence because you keep looking at the measurables on this guy, how good he was in the Pac-12 as a sophomore. When you see his mm-hmm. body, Bucky, I'm not going to compare him to Baselli because Baselli was otherworldly. He's the best player I ever covered, him and Fred Taylor. But, well, and Peyton. But I put him up there with those guys. But – Walker Little, Baselli never looked uncomfortable in his body, meaning mm. he looked like at 6'7", 320, you remember, he yeah. moved like a wide receiver. He wasn't as fast as that. But the point is, when you walked on the practice field, I always told people this about Baselli. If you walked on the practice field and looked at him across the practice field and he was standing alone, mm. you weren't sure that he wasn't a tight end or a defensive end or a linebacker. Yeah. He was proportional. He didn't have to grow into being a left tackle. He he was put on this earth to play the position. He was a natural 315. Walker Little sort of feels that way to me, too. And I think that matters. I think the great ones look comfortable doing it. And Urban or Trent, I'm not sure which one said it after the draft, but talked about how he makes hard things look easy at his position. That matters at that spot. It, 
it's not unnatural for him to punch. It's not unnatural for him to step back. I just think this kid might be really, really good. I know that's weird saying it after one or two minicamp practices, but all the boxes keep being checked for this guy. No, it's funny that you bring that up. Uh, you talk about his size. I think it's really important when you think about his size. Uh, I know we talked about um, last podcast, Jordan Smith, uh, the pass rush from UAB who had come by way of Florida and all that other stuff. Um, and maybe Irvin got this from Nick Saban. Nick Saban has a saying that I've, I've heard many teams adopt, where, and it came from Belichick. They talk about there's a reason why in boxing you have different weight classifications and that you don't put middleweights in with heavyweights and that if you have a team full of heavyweights, at some point those little guys get knocked out the ring. The one thing that I've talked about is not only do they go and get big school guys, do they not only get four and five star guys, but you can see the size and you're going to see a team that when, look, I know it's not college, but when they walk off the bus, they don't look like they're supposed to look. Now, getting them to play <laughs> is one thing, but they're going to look the part. And when you talk about Walker Little and some of the other guys like Travis Etienne looking quick and fast and explosive, Trevor Lawrence looking like a prototypical franchise quarterback, the Jaguars yeah. are quickly remaking themselves into one of those prototype teams. And so – if they keep assembling and collecting a bunch of heavyweights where you're going to have a big old physical heavyweight football team that's going to be able to go toe-to-toe with some of those physical teams that exist in the AFC. And Tufele sort of fits that too, doesn't he? I mean, he's a prototype. Yes. Nose tackle, yeah. same deal. Yeah, I mean, and I yeah, guess I saw, uh, By the too. way, John, I saw uh, Tufele walking through the hall on Friday on the way out to practice. <laughs> so we couldn't walk. It's like – Okay, he is a large human being. He's 6'2", which is, you know, I'm taller than he is, but, I mean, he is a load now, and it's the same thing. He's not puffed up. It is just a broad human being. And, JP, I don't know if you remember, uh, back in 13 when the Jaguars went and played the 49ers in London, Yes. How much bigger and stronger they were. I mean, when they ran out on the field, it's like the yeah, you defending went, uh, NFC champions. They had just gone to the Super Bowl running out of one tunnel, and here come the little college Jaguars coming out of the other yeah. tunnel. Yeah, you kind of looked at it. Oh, my goodness. So, and that's not everything, but I think to Bucky's point, it certainly feels like this is going to be that kind of a team. Again, that's not everything. That doesn't automatically win you games. It maybe it frames it, what they're going to be. So here's another thing, right? Those 2013 49ers that you talked about, they were coached by Jim Harbaugh coming from college, coming from Stanford, thinking about the way that those Stanford teams used to beat them up. Like guys always leave uh, clues in terms of how they're going to build their team. Jim Harbaugh built the 49ers much like he built Stanford. I would anticipate Urban Meyer building his teams like he built up Florida and Ohio State, big, physical, with fast guys on the perimeter. Who is the GM of those teams? I can't remember. Ah. Oh, oh, man. Let's see. that. Oh, yeah. oh. Ah. common denominator. Uh-huh. Common denominator, yeah. And by the way, the uh, in that game, it was 42-10 to 10 was the final score with 49ers over the uh, Jaguars. And they scored on the first four possessions, all touchdowns. It was 28 nothing right out of the gate. <laughs> San Francisco. It was 42 to 10 because they decided it would be 42 they, to 10. They just let up. <laughs> and welcome to Wembley. Holy moly, that was a long day. Let's get to our final nuggets today on the program. The Jaguars made a trade today with the Eagles. They acquired 
cornerback James in Houston and a 2023 sixth round pick from Philadelphia in exchange for cornerback Josiah Scott. He was a draft pick last year for the Jags in the fourth round. So some uh, later round corners here, Bucky, nothing really to write home about, at least on paper. Let's see what this does, though. Yeah, nothing to write home about. But I think what you're, you're seeing is, and we've seen this, the new regime is moving away from some of the old regime's players when it came to draft. And so this happens. You can see a lot of turnover, a lot of guys that were holdovers uh, in previous years. They will no longer be there. And so this team will definitely have an Urban Meyer, Trent Baalke feel. We've talked about the heavyweights. We've talked about the speed component. We've talked about more big school guys that have played on bigger stages. I mean, look, I, I kind of call it the Warren Buffett thing. We're going to know it's going to be a bunch of brand names. There won't be any of those directional schools, JP, that we don't know about. Yep. Um, you know, like you're going to see a lot of that. And so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But these guys are going to continue to turn over the bottom part of the roster because they want to up the competition and up the overall athleticism and skill level of the players they're bringing in. Well, JP knows them both because they play Alabama in early September every year. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, right. uh, direction, uh, plenty of directional schools. <laughs> so he, knew, he knows a lot about it. But, yeah, yeah the, the Josiah Scott thing, to me, made sense on this level. If they look at it and say, realistically, they're going in a different direction, then you turn around and you get some sort of value for them. Uh, they clearly had thought, that he was not going to be a guy they move forward with. So whatever value you can get, you get a six round pick. It's a future. You've got to wait a couple of years to use it. But in, in 2023 draft, you've got a six round pick that, you know, guess what? That's not a seventh round pick, which are harder to trade. You've got a little mm -hmm. bit of value there that you can work uh, to use as a trade if you want to. So it was fine. I, I don't know much about Jameson Houston. He's a guy who was a collegiate free agent who caught on with the Eagles late last year feels to me like they see something in him that might make sense. So you figure if you see something in a guy, you bring him in and see what he's got. Let's see. And uh, the Jaguars have signed a couple draft picks. That's not really huge news anymore these days because there's not a lot of good negotiation to do, especially in the later rounds. So uh, wide receiver Jalen Camp has signed, sixth-rounder, and fourth-round defensive end Jordan Smith have both inked their contracts. And the next big thing we haven't really talked about much is – the Tebow stuff. Well, it's kind of quieted down the last few days. If it's going to happen, though, you'd think it's got to happen pretty soon because phase three starts next week and they're on the field at some point. If it's going to happen, it's going to have to happen. What do you think, Bucky? Well, I mean, he's in the best shape of his life by all reports, so it doesn't matter. Like when they say they can bring him in and he'll come in and compete. I mean, like this is one where uh, this is all about tr trust and communication. Urban Meyer would trust that Tim Tebow is going to come in and put up a credible fight when it comes to carving a position for himself at tight end, H-back, or whatever it is where they put him. And then we just kind of have to see. I would anticipate it happening in the next couple of days. Urban has talked about it happening soon. I, look, man, they just had to get through the firestorm. That's why they put the chum in the water, kind of see what it was going to be like. Well, now when he signs, look, the uproar is already over. Now we can move on and see if he can get on about his business of trying to make this football team. Uh, there'll be more uproar. But, oh, I was about to say, you better again, be better watch before you yeah, jump in the water after the challenge. There might still be some sharks swimming around there. <laughs> but it's fine. If you're going to have an uproar, May's the time to do it. And I I would expect it to happen in the next couple of days. That's not inside info. That's just based on this, you know that OTAs are starting up soon. Yep. I, mm. I, I can't imagine you would wait until after OTAs because that's when you want them in. So 
I got an idea for the website, John. I, I believe in maybe the top right corner. Maybe good. you can put maybe you can put like a Tebow tracker, like just the amount of days and hours before we get a Tebow sighting, and then once we get him, like just a daily update of what happens, like maybe what he ate in the the lunch, the, the training table, little things like that. If there are any uh, pictures that he's out there working out, maybe with his shirt off, all those things I know are really really popular when it comes to clicks. Maybe photo essays, all of those things generate clicks. So maybe. Maybe something T-ball. We need a, a, a statistical breakdown of his OTA <laughs> practice, John. Every reception, every block. Tell people, just to uh, tell people what's going on here, Bucky is, uh, often uh, does this podcast while he's driving. He's doing that again <laughs> today. He's doing I'm that again driving. today. So. I'm parked. I'm parked. I'm parked. I'm fully engaged. Either way, Bucky. So I can be clear. I just, Either look, way, man, stay I, in your lane. <laughs> I just, I just, I just want us, I want us to be the best. And I just, I just can sense all of this new content that we can create around Tebow. I think he should be on the Ozone podcast very quickly after he signs to talk about all the things that he's learned along the way, playing baseball and all that. So it'd be great. I'll put it this way. Should he sign? My door is open. <laughs> I love it. My Ooh. microphone is open. I love He's it. always welcome. I love it. We'll see what happens uh, this week, if it happens at all. And that'll do it for the Huddle Up podcast today. Remember to subscribe to the official Jaguars Podcast Network, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you download your podcasts, and give us that five-star rating and a comment, as always. For John Osier and Bucky Brooks, I'm J.P. Shadrick. We'll catch you next week on the Huddle Up podcast.